Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Wisdom Awakening. I'm your host, Bishop E.W. Jackson. Great to be with you again this morning. Uh, I am coming to you live this morning. Uh, let me see if I've got a little... I want to wear my faith shirt today, but it's got a broad neck. I don't didn't want too much of my neck showing, so I had a little bit of a, of a wardrobe issue <laughs> before I came on with you. <laughs> this really is live TV. Now, you know, I've been giving you some time the date I'm on because then I realized, but if we ever re-air the program, you'll know that it's not a live program, and then it'll seem like I'm lying. <laughs> so I, I am coming to you live today. I'll put it that way. You may end up seeing this program at another time, and uh, if you do, bear with us because I can't be on live every single day, right? So sometimes there'll be a best of that is airing. Well, look, before I jump into the Word today, and I do want to jump into the Word early today, I've been disciplining myself and keeping to 30 minutes, which is which is a good thing. I think it's better for you, better for me, too. A uh, little less wear and tear on me. I get to do and get to other things that I have to do today. You'd be amazed what that 15 minutes does. It really, it really throws my schedule back. So, so I'm trying to keep this 8.30 to 9 a.m. And like I said, there are some other adjustments we're going to make to the program eventually. Um, terms of intro and outro, maybe having some guests on, that kind of thing. Uh, that won't happen often because uh, I'm usually so filled up with things I want to say that having a guest on only gets in the way of stuff that I really do feel I need to pour out. And I say guest for my radio program, which I, oh my goodness gracious. And you know what? That's part of the problem. I said that. I had a wardrobe problem, so forgive me once again, folks. There you go. I do need a microphone on, and but thank all of you. When I do that, sometimes I occasionally forget to put my mic on uh, that you all tell me. The sound is really distant. There's something wrong. Uh, so thank you all for reminding me of that, but that should be good, okay? Uh, but at any rate, um, so you probably heard what I said. So let me let me just get right to the issues I want to I want to deal with uh, with. Uh, on you with deal with today. Um, well, first of all, let me just say we are planning an event. We meaning Stan, we're planning an event in Chicago. So please pray for us and help us financially because Chicago is really the epicenter of violence. As you and all, all know, our Awakening Hearts and Minds program has been focusing on focusing on this violence against children, innocent kids being shot down in their beds because of bullets coming through the walls of their homes, in their backyards, on their bikes, playing in their parents' cars when a shootout happens. Sometimes the parent is being targeted. Sometimes it's just one of those things. Like Sequoia Williams uh, down in Atlanta, whose mother was simply trying to navigate around a Black Lives Matter blockade. And when she tried to go around it, the Black Lives Matter activist shot into the car and killed the child. Um, and by the way, I'm not saying this is all Black Lives Matter stuff, obviously, but there's just lawless people who don't care about the lives of others. Uh, it just, I just brought up that incident because here again, the child was just innocently riding in the mother's car and ends up dead for no reason whatsoever. Sure, they, they weren't even targeting the mother in that case. They just were targeting a car because they thought the car had no right to pass by a Black Lives Matter blockade. But I won't get all into that. That'll, that'll take me off track. So we're planning an event in Chicago um, to save the lives of these murdered children and to talk about ways 
we can reduce this violence and ultimately eliminate it. And so you can go to our website, um, standamerica.us. Um, the, the Chicago event is not up yet uh, because we, we're still working on dates. It's going to be sometime in October, but we're still working out the date. But you can pray for us now, and you can contribute to it now because we're, we're going to do it. There's no question. We're going to do it. Uh, it's just a question of exactly what date we're going to do it. It's going to be on a, a Saturday in October. Uh, and we've got some wonderful people in Chicago that we're working with, including somebody you've probably seen on Fox, uh, Pastor Corey Brooks, who is really doing yeoman service in Chicago, trying to reduce the violence and trying to give these young people opportunities to, to, to sort of dissuade them from and to lure them away from involvement with the gangs, the drugs, the violence, and so forth. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a mess. But it's indicative of what's going on in the entire country. And But we're going to Chicago because it's the epicenter of the violence. And we're hoping through Chicago to be able to get a message out to every community, every inner city across the country, that this violence does not have to persist. It can be ended. So, so please keep that in mind. Uh, and, and pray for us, first and foremost, but you can contribute because these are the kinds of things that we're doing, and all these things, of course, cost money. The other thing I was going to say to you is this. You know, I am convinced more than ever that we've got to have a president of the United States who is a cultural leader, not, not simply a political and leader and not simply a leader who is focused on the Constitution and the laws. Now, those things are clearly very, very important. But I'm convinced that right now we are, we are in a cultural crisis in our country. We're also in, a, in some ways in a constitutional legal crisis, but frankly, I think the cultural crisis is driving the constitutional legal crisis, not the other way around. When the Supreme Court passed Obergefell and gave us homosexual marriage, they unleashed cultural forces in the country that were already there, but they were at bay. And, and now they have erupted just erupted. It's given a legitimacy to homosexuality and sexual perversion that now allows people to go into schools and say, we need to teach kindergartners, in fact, they want two and three-year-olds, about transgenderism. We need to tell them that your gender is not what is on your birth certificate. That has nothing to do with it. It's how you feel inside. I mean, they want to do this for two and three and four-year-olds. They've got curriculum. They've got kindergarten curriculum. In fact, I'm going to be talking about it on my radio program. They've got kindergarten curriculum that they've designed to teach children about all this transgender craziness, this, this, this immoral, degenerate, depraved, transgender craziness, because that, that's what it is. It's immoral, it's degenerate, it's depraved. They want to, they want to bring children into these drag queen story hours and have... Uh, uh, homosexual or transgender men or whatever they are. I don't know what they are. They don't know what they are. How can I know? Uh, with fake breasts on, displaying those around children. They even have children become dressing up young, prepubescent, elementary school and younger children dressing up as drag queens and, and encouraging them by having people putting money in their belts as they gyrate around the stage and then encouraging the children by saying, see how much money you made? See, see how much money you made? I mean, this, this stuff is, it is, it is unconscionable. 
it is unconscionable. And that, that is the moral and spiritual and cultural degeneration of our society, that you've got people in authority supporting this stuff and thinking it's somehow normal. It's good. Now that's how sick our society has become that's producing a kind of legitimacy for this stuff. When all those people, in my view, ought to be locked up for pedophilia, ought to be locked up for child sexual abuse. And we need a president who's going to say that. Because if you don't, if we don't have a president who's willing to say that, this stuff is going to continue. Because it seems like the more opposition they get, the bolder they become. Because they know at this point, there are no legal prescriptions. Now, there ought to be legal prescriptions against this stuff. There ought to be laws against taking children into these sexualized uh, fantasy uh, experiences that these adult males want to have, but they then they want to foist these on children, and, the, and the, there can only be one purpose, grooming the children to become part of their sexual perversion. That's the only, that's the only reason to do this. There's no, re children don't need this. They've lived for generations throughout human history without being exposed to this. So it's not like, oh, well, we know that that's going to deprive the child of some great experience. It's going to help the child grow and mature. Oh, well, that's preposterous. Children don't need this. They need to be playing with their toys, eating their food, playing with their brothers and sisters, going outside, you know, learning to ride a bike, doing whatever kids do, not being taken to some drag queen garbage that they try to dump into the child and teach the child from the earliest possible age to be a sexual pervert like they are. Now, you know, and frankly, we, we really need a president to say this stuff. I, I know, I know that that's tough and politicians are averse to that kind of stuff. But if you don't, they're going to keep doing it. And we need to empower parents and we need to empower normal Americans normal heterosexual Americans who know this stuff is wrong, Christians, traditionalists, conservatives who know this stuff is wrong, to speak up against it, to speak up against it in your corporate boardrooms, to speak up against it in your, in your workplaces, to speak up against it in your churches. My goodness, I just read an article today that says a Presbyterian church, I'm sorry, forgive me, it's not a Presbyterian church, an Episcopal church, had a drag queen story hour in the church for kids. Now, you know, that's an abomination to God. And they, they, they better repent and, and, and stop that mess because Jesus said it needs be that these little ones must be offended, but woe to them by whom they are offended. He said, because whoever offends one of these little ones who believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he would drown in the depths of the sea. I mean, God has no patience with this abuse of children, and that's what this is. It's an abuse of children. And I just, this was just on my mind and on my heart that we need a president who is willing to address this because it is so metastasized and wants to get, I, if you all saw any of my program, my radio, my radio program, I think yesterday, where I talked about 
this National Association of Addiction Counselors now wants to include um, deliverance from white supremacy as one of the underlying causes of addiction and it's white supremacy and so the 12-step program needs to include renunciations of white supremacy. Oh yeah, that's why you're an alcoholic. You're an alcoholic because of white supremacy. I don't care what your color is, what your complexion is, if you are an alcoholic, if you are a drug addict, somehow white supremacy is causing this. Even though the fentanyl that's killing 100,000 of our people every year now and is an epidemic among young people is coming from China through South America. The last time I looked, Chinese aren't Europeans and South Americans aren't Europeans for the most part either. But somehow it's all white supremacy. And so they want to teach you how to not be a white supremacist because that's going to help you get delivered from addiction. I mean, so this stuff is like an insidious, fast-moving poison, forgive the redundancy, that is sort of winding its way through everything, polluting and poisoning everything. And we need, a, we need a president who will be a leader on that. That's, that's going to be a, a hard case to find that because, here again, politicians tend to be risk averse and they tend not to want to say anything that might be deemed controversial or hateful. They're going to call you hateful no matter what. You just might as well put it out there. Okay, we just might as well put it out there. And that's the kind of person I'm looking for to be president. That's the kind of person I want to see. We don't know who is going to be the next president of the United States. We don't even know yet who's going to run. But I'm going to be looking at the field, asking that question and looking for the person who comes closest to that standard because I think that's the standard we've got to meet right now. You know, the, the military is now trying to become a... a, 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 a a woke institution. Well, that wokeness deals with culture. They're trying to change the culture of a military from a warrior culture to a woke culture. See, the President of the United States, next President, is going to have to address all of that. All those people who believe that mess are going to have to go. And people who understand what the mission of the military is, and people who, who understand that in the, in the sweep of human history, all of this stuff is very, very new. And yet we're all supposed to just accept it, just bow down to it. And by the way, let me say one other thing that I want to get to the word. All you black folks and others who come from Democrat families, who are Christians, and you're still voting for these people, because let me tell you something, folks. The Democrat Party is all up in this. They're raising money on this drag queen stuff. They're raising money on this transgender stuff. We're, gonna, we're the defenders of transgenderism, and we want your children to learn what their true sexual identity is. The, the Democrat Party is all up in it. If you vote for a Democrat, you are voting for transgenderism, homosexuality. You are voting for teaching children this mess, and you are voting for mass abortion because those are the things that they have now come to stand for. And you see what the, what, the, what the harvest is from the wickedness they're sowing. We've got an economy that's on the brink. We've got supply chains and, and shortages. 
We've got, we've got people not wanting to work everywhere you look for service. It's a long waiting period because people are insufficiently staffed because they can't find people to work these jobs. We've got a border that we, we're, we're suffering an invasion. This is not, this is not, this is not high illegal immigration. We are suffering an invasion. Uh, uh, just down in Alabama, uh, an, an illegal immigrant was just caught having kidnapped and raped a young girl uh, and was holding her on property. I don't know whether the property was his or not. Apparently, maybe he killed the people who owned it, but he had also had two bodies on the property that he had killed and buried. An illegal immigrant. Fentanyl's coming across to our country through illegal immigration. We are in, if we are in face, and China, of course, is making war noises, war noises, folks, against the United States of America. Because they see that we have a weak, confused, and inconsequential leader who doesn't know what he's doing and doesn't really have the fortitude frankly, or maybe even the conviction to defend America. He's too busy defending his son, defending all these other bizarre ideological ideas that, the, that his party has now embraced. He's so too busy defending that. And they're trying to redefine what a recession is and redefine what inflation is and redefine what a man is and redefine what a... I mean, they're, they're too busy trying to transform, fundamentally transform the culture to actually serve the American people. So we, we've got to have a president. We, we are in a unique time, and we really need a unique leader. And we need a president that's going to bring us together across racial and cultural lines and really go after this racial division in a major and direct way. Go after it in a major and direct way and say, oh, no, no, no. You will not divide our country this way. What you're talking, saying about America is a lie. You are skewing America's history. You are, you are perverting it. You, are, you are, are, are issuing a polemic against our country, not the truth about the full truth about the history of our country, which, yes, of course, has its downside. Absolutely, it does. But it also has its nobility. It has its honor. It has its integrity. It's, encourage, it's courage. It's productivity. Uh, there, there are many ways that this country is blessed and has blessed everybody who is a part of this nation. So let's tell the whole story. No, 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 no. We only want to tell the story. America's racist. America's this, uh, you know, America's a horrible place. We need, we need a president who's going to address all of that and bring us together as one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Okay, well, since I'm, I'm trying to stick to my timeline here, let's, let's get back to 1 Thessalonians. Uh, let's see, and we're in First Thessalonians chapter 2. We finished up at verse 9, which says, For you remember, brethren, our labor and, to and toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. In other words, the Apostle Paul says here, You remember, we didn't try to, to be a burden to you. We weren't trying to take anything from you. We were trying to be a blessing to you, and we labored night and day so that we would be a blessing to you. It's like, now look, and don't get me wrong, folks. The Bible says those who preach the gospel must live from the gospel. Um, I'm just trying to remember off the top of my head where that scripture is, but I'll find it for you. Um, 
I'm not saying that a pastor shouldn't receive a salary. I'm not saying that a pastor shouldn't be paid. And I'm not saying that a pastor shouldn't be well paid. Okay? I'm not saying that at all. Here's what I am saying. That we should not be in it for money. On the one hand, a pastor is not in it for money and is not trying to grab every dime he or she can get his hands on. And on the, the other hand, the congregation ought to be committed, determined to take care of their preacher. Because the Bible says that uh, let him that has share in all good things with him who teaches the word. That's Galatians chapter 6, which says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. So let him who is taught share in all good things with him who teaches. So we're supposed to, we're supposed to be allowing the person who is delivering the word to not have to depend upon any other means of sustenance, of survival, of getting on. That's, that's the church's responsibility. But it's the responsibility of a pastor to always let the church know that God is going to provide for me and I'm not going to beg you. I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm not going to try to trick you or seduce you into giving me something. I'm just not doing that. Now, some of you may know this, but my, my church does not give me a salary. It's not because I couldn't ask for one. It's just that that's been the tradition of our ministry. Um, and we encourage people to give. My wife and I take a vacation, so people give toward our having an opportunity to rest, uh, that kind of thing. And I'm not saying that pastors who do take a salary are bad or wrong, because they're not. They should be getting a salary. And like I said, they should be getting a very good salary. Okay? They shouldn't be nickel and dimed. Uh, what I'm saying is, but the attitude of the pastor should be, but I will not preach for money. I will not say I am a hireling, that I am paid. Okay? My wife and I founded our churches, and so we founded them knowing there wasn't any money to pay us anything. So that's just the tradition we've grown up in. Now, the Lord willing, and our ministry survives us, which I'm praying that it will, that we will, heir parents will develop and, and people will, will continue the ministry after we are gone. Uh, the, the next pastor probably should be paid. That's simply not been our tradition. But even if that next pastor is paid and presumably paid well, that pastor should not be in it for the money. Okay? And I think this is what the Apostle Paul is saying, that we might not be a burden to any, any, any of you. We preach to you the gospel. We're in it to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we trust God for the money to take care of us. It says, you are witnesses in the 10th verse. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. Wow, isn't that a great testimony? That's the testimony we want to have. I, I, I'll tell you, folks, I, I, one of the greatest challenges of pastoring and being a spiritual leader is dealing with people and doing it in a way that you know is always consistent with the way God would want you to behave because people will test you and will try you and really get you out of your Christian character. Or even if you don't come out of your Christian character, they will twist and turn things that you say 
and try to make those things unchristian. Now, this can happen for Christians as well, not just pastors. I think this really kind of comes with the territory. And you're supposed to be a Christian. You know, you get that. Because you respond in a way that they think they think a Christian should not. You may be perfectly in order, but, of course, they want to twist that and try to turn that to make it seem like, see, you're not really a Christian, or you're not certainly not behaving like a Christian right now. Now, I'm not talking about cursing people out. We as Christians don't do that. But I'm talking about speaking the truth, sometimes in love, correcting people, telling people, yeah, no, 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 uh, wait a minute. Let me, let, me just, let me just square your way here. Let me help you understand something. And Paul says, we devoutly, justly, and blamelessly behaved ourselves among you who believe. That's what we aim toward. But you know what? That doesn't mean people will always interpret our behavior as devout and just and blameless. I, I, you know, I won't even go into the, some of the stuff I've been accused of. Um, I, one time up in Boston, we, were, we, had a, we had a rash of out-of-wedlock pregnancies in the church, a rash of them. And I addressed it in a number of ways. But one of the things I said was, you know, we, we can have baby showers in the church for married women, but we're not having baby showers in the church for women having babies out of wedlock. So that doesn't mean you can't help them. You, well, we as individuals can help them. But what it means is we understand that one is in order and one is not. A marriage, a baby born in the bonds of, of holy matrimony is in order, and a baby born outside that is not. There's nothing wrong with that baby. There's something wrong with the behavior that the parents engaged in to produce that baby. So you bless the parent and you bless the baby, but you don't do it by putting the imprimatur of and the seal of approval of the church on that particular process because it's out of order. So I say, you know, help them, pray for them, give them things that will be a blessing to them. You don't turn your back on them. You don't walk away from them. But you don't bring that into the church as if, oh, there's really no difference between a married couple having a baby and a woman having a baby out of wedlock. No difference. There is a difference. Well, you know what they said about me? When I say they, it's just what they started. Bishop Jackson doesn't like children. Well, then it was Reverend. Reverend Jackson doesn't like children. He, 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 he wants to close the doors of the church to children. <laughs> so, I was trying to honor God and trying to honor marriage as God's plan and purpose and institution for mankind and all of this out-of-wedlock pregnancy as something that the church does not honor. Here again, we love the children. We bless the children. We want to help those children. We want to help those mothers too. But we don't elevate birth out of wedlock to a level that is on the same level as birth within the bonds of holy matrimony, which is the way God ordained it to be. And I got talked about like a dog by some people for that, for trying to do what was right. And anybody who knows me knows I love children. <laughs> I mean, I really do. I love children. I love being around them. I love talking to them. You know, if I go into a place and there's a group of children, I'll get, sometimes I'll get off and start talking to the children because I just, I, I just love, I, you know, I think Jesus felt the same way. Suffer little children to come unto me. Do not forbid them to come unto me. He would take them up in their hands, his hands and bless them. Um, but that's not what was said about me. 
So our job is to behave devoutly and justly and blamelessly according to God's standard, not the world's. Wow. 11th verse says, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And that's really what we're supposed to be doing, encouraging the saints of God to walk worthy of the God who calls us into his own kingdom and glory. You know, this ought to be our prayer. Oh God, get the glory out of my life. See, we don't do what we do to bring glory to ourselves. The Bible says those whom he predestined, those who he foreknew, he ultimately glorifies. But our job is not to glorify ourselves. God does the glorifying for us. Okay? Our job is to glorify him. He said, and that's like a father with his own children. That's what we encourage you. Walk worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. And you know, I think that's the true heart of a spiritual leader, a father, a father's heart. I love my children. I love them when they're right. I love them when they're wrong. I love them when they're good. I love them when they're bad. I love them. I love them at all times. Not that they're bad. They're good children. But, but I've loved them without any cessation. And that's the way a spiritual leader is supposed to be toward the, the people of God. We're supposed to just love them like a father loves his children. That doesn't mean there's no correction. That doesn't mean there's no discipline. That doesn't, that doesn't mean there's no uh, rebuke because that comes with the territory. One, as I said yesterday, one hopes that that's rare, but, but that's what a true father does. The father, Bible says the father who does not rebuke his child hates his child because you know that, that does not correct his child hates his child because you know that correction is an act of love because you're correcting people to help them to live a better, more productive, and more God-glorifying life. That's going to do it for today. Well, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to be disciplined about this and stick to about 30 minutes. I'm a little bit over now. But I, but I was a little bit late getting started. I didn't have my mic on when I first started either. So oh, that, that gives me a little bit of a grace minute or two. God bless each and every one of you. I love you. Pray for me. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. Hey, tell somebody about Wisdom Awakening, okay? Spread the word and, and tell people how they can view us uh, because here again, I don't trust Facebook. I think I'm suspended from YouTube, so I don't think anything is airing on YouTube. I'll have an update for you on that. But these censors are so busy uh, trying to keep people from being heard that you just never know. So we're trying to make sure that we have our own means of communicating to you through our websites uh, and through my app that the, the, the big, that big tech has no control over. In fact, we're working right now on getting our own dedicated server so we're not even using a big tech server in order to get through to people. Uh, so pray for us, support us. Go to our website, standamerica.us, thecall.org, bishopbwjackson.tv, and give and help us to continue to do the work that God has called us to do. God bless each and every one of you. And remember, we cannot be defeated if we will not quit because we are on God's side.